Retain Podcast. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Gang Grow Retain Podcast. Today, I'm joined by a very, very special guest, someone that, unbelievably, I haven't spoken live to before, uh, even despite all of the interactions we've had on LinkedIn. So I've got Daphne Lopez with me today. She's with HubSpot. So hi, Daphne. Welcome to the welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jay. It's so good to be here and to speak to you in person for the first time. I know. Maybe maybe someday we'll even get to meet in person. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Um, we are going to talk about today. So this is a new series that we're doing. And uh, Daphne is our first guest slash guinea pig for this new series. Uh, but I think it's going to go really well. We're going to talk about scale customer success today and some of the ways that you do that at HubSpot, because that's where Daphne is. And um, uh, obviously a company that executes at scale in a, in a big way. And so excited to talk to you about this and uh, and and dig in. But first of all, where, where are you today? Are you at home or in, in where is home for you? Yeah, I am home in Dublin, Ireland, where I work most of the time. Actually, HubSpot is a remote first company. So we can all work from wherever um, we want. Well, that's is that true? That's not exactly true. It's wherever we have an entity <laughs> that you want to work from. Um, and yeah, Dublin is home, definitely. But that's not where I'm from. Or I'm originally from Brazil. Um, but yeah, 14 years later, Dublin is definitely become home. So you've been there 14 years. I, I sense a little bit of the accent there, the Irish accent for sure. Yeah, yeah. There is, it's impossible, right? To live in Ireland for 14 years and not get a bit of an accent. So I definitely can trick uh, some people to thinking I'm Irish, I think. I can, I can hear that for sure. All right, so you're with HubSpot uh, and your role is Principal Manager of Customer Success. Did I get that right? Yes, okay, you got that very right. It's a funny, yeah, it's funny because you know, titles in customer success, uh, are, well, not just in customer success, titles are quite meaningless. And I think I wrote about this on LinkedIn before. It's really important to think about the size of your organization, the scope of your work, all that stuff. So to kind of help people understand my work, I head up uh, HubSpot's second largest uh, market, which is the UK and Ireland. And um, I would be um, managing everything that comes post-sale into customer success for our small business, um, our mid-market, our corporate customers, and our strategic accounts, who both up market teams are now part of my home because my colleague has... Uh, gone into maternity leave, which is one of the perks of actually being able to, um, you know, kind of scale and grow and absorb those teams and learn a little bit more. So I'm leading the, the up market right now as well. So a lot of different segments. You work very differently with the SMB than you do with the, the strategic accounts. And I've been in HubSpot for four years. So I've actually led many other markets. I've led France before. I've led Iberia. Um, I've led our channel uh, partners, so my scope of work has changed a lot over time. But um, it's been it's been a journey of actually growing with HubSpot. Right now, I think we we have nearly two hundred thousand customers, uh, wow. so it's an unbelievable number of customers. When we're thinking about some of our segments, they're bigger than uh, entire organizations. 
So it is it is a privilege uh, to be part of HubSpot and to be part of the rocket ship growth that we've seen over the last few years. And yeah, like excited to be here to talk about scale because we've been scaling. I, yeah, I, I would imagine, I mean, with 200,000 customers, and I'm sure there's a large number of customers just in your segment alone, to your point. So um, tell us a little bit about your particular territory and segment that you manage there in the UK and Ireland. How, how big is it? And, you know, what, what is the functional scope? Is it only customer success or do you have support and the other functions that go along with it? Yeah, no, it's it's pure customer success. So we do have obviously all the other pillars, but for example, our sports team would be centralized under a support leader. Um, same thing for our contract management in HubSpot. We have specialization uh, difference between the contract manager who manages the contract, the renewals, and the customer success managers who are responsible for driving value for customers, helping them achieve their outcomes. So we definitely it's definitely a village a hubspot when we think about driving customer success and my my domain my territory is pure customer success on driving value for customers okay that's great all right we'll talk a little bit about specialization more about that i'm sure that's one of the key pillars of scale in my opinion is having the right people to do the right types of jobs because this work can be very dynamic and very varied uh, across what we have to do with customers. So I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up so early. Um, so what does it mean to you then to scale customer success? How do you think about that? I, I thought about this quite a bit and I kind of keep going back to one thing that I often say, which is for me, scaling success is meeting each one of your customers at the right time with the right intervention. And it might seem simplistic, but when you actually break down the components of all of this, when you think about meeting all of your customers, you immediately start thinking about all of the segments. Like I said, in HubSpot, we have strategic accounts and we have small businesses. So anything from like a one-man band person who comes into HubSpot through our freemium model and has a starter uh, package with us, all the way to enterprises who have hundreds and thousands of seats in their in their licenses. So the tendency usually when we think about um, the customer success evolution and how most companies grow is to actually keep moving up market, right? To keep servicing your larger customers with a higher and higher touch and kind of leaving your long tail behind. Um, most people don't even have like a marketing motion on that long tail, something structured. However, when I think about scale, I think about thinking holistically about all of your customers and how do you drive their success through the customer journey independently of how much they spend with you. Of course, you're a business, you need to make money, you need to survive. You, a business that doesn't make money doesn't exist and doesn't help any customers, right? So we're not in a fairy tale land. We know that it's impossible to meet customers one-on-one in every segment, but it's not impossible to meet them. And that that's through technology, through content, through community. Um, so I think a lot gets packed up in that one sentence of servicing all your customers and meeting them where they are at the right time with the right intervention. That, I, I love that so much. And the, the word intervention to me is really important and powerful there because, um, you know, one of the things about customer success that we've always 
envisioned for it as a profession and as a role within a, a SaaS company is that it would be proactive. And when you intervene, it sort of means that you have identified something that needs to be addressed. And so can you tell us a little bit more about how you, what, what tools, what, what, what do you, how, how do you know what to respond to, especially when you think about the smallest customers that you have that you're not talking to on a one-on-one -on -one basis? How, how do you think about those interventions? Yeah. So I feel like if I, if I don't say customer outcomes in, in a podcast or a webinar or a presentation that I'm giving, like I'm letting myself down, you know, customer outcomes is my religion. It's everything I talk about. And, and I think the reason why I'm so passionate about it is because understanding what your customers need and want from you as a business, like why have they bought your product? What outcomes are they hoping to achieve? Everything starts from there, right? Mm -hmm. And when you think about your smallest customers, your customers that are spending um, the least amount of money with you, your long tail, oftentimes it's easy to just forget them. You know, it's easy to just um, not think about what they try, they're trying to achieve. And I think it's in order to, to be able to service that, that segment, you call it a segment, um, you need to really truly understand what it is that they're trying to achieve. And then you need to create content, build communities, build events, all around those outcomes, things that they are trying to achieve. And then if you are in an organization that has data, you can build machine learning models and you can start understanding what usage translates into outcomes for customers. So you can do regression analysis or you can actually have dynamic models running that consistently look at how customers that are succeeding on getting those outcomes, what are they using and how can we create a network effect that is actually going to teach all other customers how to use that product to and benefit from uh, the knowledge that the network is creating. And um, so I think when you think about like the, the, lower, the lower end of the segmentation, you have to really focus on standardizing customer outcomes and then building the, the, the data models to really understand who's achieving, who's not achieving, flag those things. And then, like we said, interventions, niche customers with interventions, which could be content, community, um, to actually drive them and help them achieve those outcomes. And you do that like at the lowest end, but actually your strategic accounts can benefit from exactly the same technology and the same things. Uh, because a CSM can't be everywhere all at once. They need help sorting through all that data to understand what is meaningful, which customers are on track or not on track. So I really do believe that it all starts with understanding the outcomes and having the data structure that helps you map the product usage back to the outcomes. Hey, shout out to today's sponsor, Tatango. Tatango is the industry's only composable customer success platform allowing businesses to be agile and scale to their needs wherever they are in the CS journey. Join Tatango Live, a virtual event on September 21st to learn about Tatango's latest innovation and to hear from leaders who are shaping the future of customer success. Register at tatango.com slash GGR. That's tatango.com slash GGR. So, so many good things to unpack here. So can we start with segmentation? Now, you've talked in a number of times about the different types of customers that you have that just live within your span of control. Uh, 
um, help us. I, I think, I think segmentation is something I, I believe at this point that everybody in customer success understands is a number one top priority because how do you manage your customers otherwise, right? It's very difficult and everybody can do it. A lot of people start by doing it with ARR, which to me isn't the best way to do it, but you can do it by market. You can do it by industry. You can do it by size of organization, not size of their spend with you, but you can combine those two things together. But how do you all think about those segmentations? You mentioned, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher it, SMB, mid-market, corporate, and strategic accounts. So those are your primary segments? Yeah, those are our primary segments. We also have a digital segment in HubSpot, which are all of the the, the starter premium customers. Yeah. And we also have our, what we call our pooled model. And so that's another segment that lives under a, a different leader. And how do we think about those segments? First of all, what I would say is that our thinking has evolved, right? When we When I joined HubSpot four years ago, uh, we didn't even used to have a UKI team that it was like a mixed team. And, you know, as you grow and as you evolve, your thinking around segmentation evolves because you're trying to figure out how you service customers. How do you bucket them? Who looks like each other? And, you know, who shares the same problems, the same maturity? So we all start with the, the MRR spend, AIR, AIR spend then custom uh, company size, like you said, you know, not not um, how many licenses you have, but actually how big that company right. is. And you know, in our case, we're using that for a proxy for complexity, right? If you have a corporate account, you have more account, uh, more points of contact, more um, business users, or more complex sales process. So we kind of use company size not just as a a marker for for you know a specific um, size of company but actually for how difficult it is to actually service them effectively how many resources we need to put behind them um then the other thing that we do is like in europe very specifically you need like a regional segmentation so language time zone those things are very important so we can't service our french market in english we can't service our dark market in english so we obviously segment by by different regions and in how, let's say, the maturity of our segments go is like, first you break out the region. Initially, you have every customer in that region just sitting there together in a, in a team. And then slowly but surely, as that region matures, you break into small business, mid-market, corporate, strategic accounts, like you, you mature your segmentation strategy. So in some parts of HubSpot, like the UK, we have very well-defined uh, segments. While in other parts, like let's say the, the Middle East, we have just one team. So your segmentation can be different in different parts of the organization. And then for our strategic accounts, our, like our largest customers, not only we include how much they spend with us, but there is a portion of those customers that are there because of their potential. So we call them lighthouse accounts. We find those very interesting use cases, logos, startups that are exciting and we want to invest in and we, we pour resources into them. We put them in strategic accounts, even if they're not spending X amount of dollars every single year, because we believe in their story. We believe that they can be massive and we can be part of that, of that growth story. Uh, so yeah, it's a, like, it's an evolving thing. I have 
like grand ideas for segmentation. I talk a lot about segmentation on my newsletter. In fact, my last week's newsletter was all about thinking differently about segmentation. And I think with technology, especially with um, the ability of surfacing where customers need help, we are going to start to see segmentation change because we're going to be, well, I think that there is a future where we start specializing on outcomes versus company size. Now, I do think that there is always going to be a need for like those high complexity strategic account customers having a single point of contact. But if you think about the bulk of the accounts, I think we're going to get to a place where being able to have a deep conversation with a customer about the objective that they're trying to achieve and being able to match that with product strategy and actual product knowledge, not just surface knowledge, but deep knowledge will be more important. So I think segmentation will change over the next few years as technology evolves. Yeah, I think you're right on that. And it's interesting, just to sort of recap what you said a little bit, you are you have segmentation built into how your company is organized, right? Because you, you're segmented geographically and you started that way. And then you have size and spend as well. How about product? I know you have a number of products. How do you think about servicing? And we talked to G2 a little bit about this too. I'm curious how you think about it. What, how do you how do you think about servicing multiple products out of a single team the way that you do? Yeah. We have five products right now. So five products is a lot for anybody to be a true expert in. Uh, right. However, when you think about our our makeup in terms of like the product distribution, most of our customers are marketing and sales customers. So really building that on those two domains is what's most important for CSM. So CSM yeah. service all five products, but they have deep domain expertise in two. And then slowly but surely, as they grow in their career, and actually that's part of the career path, right? Like you come in and you are like an associate CSM, you know nothing about nothing and you're learning everything about the product, about the industry. And as you grow, as you start servicing customers that are working with more complex outcomes, they are in our enterprise segment, you start growing your career and build into that ladder of becoming a, a principal CSM or strategic CSM. And it's definitely not easy for CSMs. And I hear that a lot from from my team. Um, It's a lot of context that you need. If you you need to service a customer that has our CMS hub, which is a website builder, then you're talking to a developer or a designer that's trying to do something. And sometimes you're talking to a marketer that's trying to grow demand. And sometimes you're talking to somebody that's in operations because we have an operations hub. So it's really versatile, the, the type of point of contact that you might have in an account which makes it challenging for CSMs, definitely the, like all that context switching. Also makes it interesting, in my opinion, right? You pick up the phone, you don't have the same conversation over and over again. Um, but I think what it does is over time, it's going to become very difficult. And right now we are already specializing some, let's say some layer type of roles where you have a technical consultant that will come for the more complex use cases in some areas. And we have um, uh, specialists in the CMS hub that can, can come and help build solutions for customers. So we're building layers on top with added services. We also have an incredible partner network that we heavily invest in. They are the fuel to our growth in so many ways. 
And yeah, they build specialization. Some of our agencies are like CMS and marketing specialized. They build websites, they, they churn them out. They help customers go live. Some others are like RevOps specialized. They come in into the, the CRM together with the HubSpot operations product and they reinvent how workflows work and how the business like is structured. So we really heavily rely on partners for those uh, more nuanced use cases so that we can we can meet customers where they are and we can give them what they need. Yeah. And I've found partners always to be a very specific solution to customer success because usually a partner they're bringing more than just product knowledge, right? They're bringing deep industry knowledge, which is the definition of customer success really is like bringing together industry knowledge, product knowledge, and combining it to make a, make an outcome for the customer. So that's really cool. Uh, all right. Last thing on outcomes, I promise. And then I'll let us move on, but I know it's near and dear to your heart. So the thing that, um, and I didn't read your newsletter, but I will go back and do that. I promise. But the thing you just said, which sparked something for me is, segmenting based on outcomes. A lot of times when we service large horizontal markets like HubSpot does, right? You have customers in so many kinds of industries, um, but their use cases are similar, are, are sort of similar in the outcomes that they're looking for are somewhat similar. So how do you think about outcomes and predefining those when you have such a broad audience of customers for you, for, for your product products? Yeah, I'm, I am of the school of thought and I'm still... I, I'm open to debate on this. I, uh, I'd i love to be proven wrong, but every time somebody says to me, you know, every customer is different, my instinct as a person with a product management background is to say, no, they are not. Uh, we are not building products for everyone. We're building products for an ideal persona, an ideal client profile, we are building products to show for jobs that that persona has or that type of organization has. So we're already thinking about how to narrow the, the market, how to narrow the opportunity when we're building products. So if you are in a product organization, this DNA of jobs to be done is mm -hmm. already there. Because otherwise, you would be building customized solutions and you wouldn't have an off-the-shelf product. So when I think about outcomes, I always say to people, get close to your product team, right? Your product team has some notion and idea of who are they building for, what problems they're trying to solve. And if you are, let's say, lost and you don't know where to start, that conversation is probably one of the most important conversations you can have. Um, you alone in customer success or in sales or in marketing, you are not going to be able to, to change that. Your product is already going in a direction. Of course, you can influence the product, but there is that definition of who do we serve and how do we serve them? What is our strategy with our product? So you need to learn that and you need to embrace that and then take those jobs that your product does and then find ways to measure that in the product. Like for example, in HubSpot, we have a marketing product, right? Why do people buy a marketing automation tool? Because they want to grow demand. They want to generate and capture demand. And if we go into what does that look like from a metrics perspective, it is, I need to create marketing qualified leads. Am I creating them? Is that number growing? And are they converting into deals and sales? Like, is it, what is the quality of that QL? So there are 
a few metrics that you can hang your hat on. You don't need 2000 metrics. You need a few metrics, like one per job to be done would already be great. And with that, you can already start communicating value to your customers. You can already start benchmarking on whether your customers are achieving those outcomes. So for example, if a customer comes to you and says, I want to increase my lead uh, generation by 200%. And some customers come to you and say, I want to increase by 10%, right? The, the, the variance will be there in how vicious the goals are. But most of the time, they're going to want to do very similar things. They're going to want to grow demand with their marketing automation product. So with that, when you have one measure, you can already start shaping everything that you do as a customer success organization to help the customer get there. Like for example, your onboarding. If you know that customers want to generate leads, what do they need to do during onboarding? What's step one, two, and three? What do they need? Like what's the plumbing that's needed to actually be able to generate a lead? You need a form on your website. You, you know, like there is a few things that you need to have done. So you can reverse engineer those goals into actions. And then if you do have the technology available, you can then start looking at the customers who are not performing well, right? And that's your risk bucket straight away. Even before they get to renewal time, even before they tell you they want to cancel, they are your risk bucket. If they're not generating leads and they bought your marketing product, well, they're not achieving their outcomes. They are not going to get return on investment and they eventually churn, right? So you can start taking intervention early. You can talk to them. You can target them with the right content. You can put in-app stuff for them, whatever, however you choose to interact with that customer, but it has to be about how you drive those outcomes. So I, as I, like I said, maybe there's somebody out there with a better idea of this, something that I don't know and I haven't seen, but in my 10 plus years of customer success, having worked with product for a long time, I think that that is the way. It's just like, let's sit down a product to define the, the jobs to be done. Let's measure back to it and reverse engineer everything that we do to get there. Yeah, I love it. I Let me let me run this scenario by you. I want to see if you've ever had this experience. I've worked with a lot of product teams over the years. I actually was in product management too. So I'm, I'm glad we had that in, in, uh, in common. I think that's invaluable skill for anybody to, or experience for anybody, especially in customer success and leadership to have some experience in, in product management. I always recommend that to people. So, you know, it's near and dear to my heart. Um, but a lot of times you mentioned having one or two or three metrics. A lot of times what I've found is that it's very easy for people to get caught up in the nuance of all the metrics and what could be possible and so ha have you done anything in particular as you've worked even with your product teams or your CSM teams or anyone, anybody in between, have you had to go through those conversations about just simplifying and saying, yes, I know there's all these edge cases out there, but here's the metric. I know it's not precise, but it's direct directionally accurate. And we're going to use it to measure true customer success. Have you had to push through those before? Yeah, it, actually in my job, before HubSpot, I was with a payments platform that was owned by Lufthansa Systems. And when I got there, we actually, not only we had the problem of having hundreds of ways of customers measuring success, but we were also customizing the product. Like there were different instances of the product that were built for big customers, large enterprise customers. So 
it wasn't you had your off-the-shelf product that you know a big portion of your customers were buying but then your biggest contracts that were most meaningful impact in how they impacted your revenue those customers all had different versions of that product and you can imagine how difficult that is to manage from a from a development perspective but also from a support perspective it was just really a really really challenging environment when you when it came came to measuring outcomes because even the product was different in some cases but like i said like going back to basics and having a conversation with the product team that said okay how are we how are we positioning this in the market right why are people coming to us are they coming to us because we have built a reputation on solving a specific type of problem are they coming to us because of engineering skills like what exactly are we selling to our customers like what is what is the the usb and having that conversation with the product team especially at the time when i came when we were merging three different products uh, into one and trying to really get to that off the shelf bring everything that we did for the enterprise customers that was so different and customized and actually put it into the off the shelf product and then migrate everybody into those like getting that conversation started to like really what is why do we exist and why do people come to us what reputation have we built and like you said there are hundreds of things that your customer might want to measure that they have on their reporting lines they might call things different things differently but mm -hmm. we as we were merging our product we settled on a few kpis per product that were how we were going to measure our customer success we were best practices based on everything that we knew from from those big accounts everything that we knew worked we did some regression analysis on the features that were that were used most and we said we said we're going to start here this is a starting point no metrics yep. perfect literally there is not yep. one metric yep. that's perfect that's right we're going to start here and we're going to use these metrics to start communicating value to customers to start surfacing risk and we're going to see if it resonates so we had a version one with with customers we went and we did quarterly business reviews with them using those metrics and there were of course cases where people are like oh that's not how we call this thing we call this thing something else inside our business but they understood the spirit of that and again having a csm there to translate it for them what that what that that meant for their business was really important we just didn't send that and didn't explain what it was but it's slowly but surely we did adapt the KPIs. We did add more KPIs to, to our overall look of health with Buddha Health Score based on it. And it was consistently being updated. Uh, there were things that were added. There were things that were removed. There were things that we thought initially were cool and important. And then it turns out nobody cared about them. We learned, right? So it's like it, it all starts with like crawling, walking, and then running. And not taking an excuse not to start with that it's not because somebody says to you it's difficult or everybody says this differently or my customer this one customer i have does this thing like it's not an excuse not to do it right because even if you have a 50 percent perfect item that you can that you can measure that you can look at you're already better than yesterday when you had zero 100%. so yeah, that's that's definitely my experience there. And in HubSpot, we're actually in that process right now. We're reinventing our usage metrics that we've had for a long time. And I am sure that that's going to be a process of looking through all of the things that we think are important, we thought were, were useful, the things that are no longer useful that were in the health score four years ago, 
and yeah, it's it's always a work in progress. Yeah, well, that that's right, and and you know, with with any of these metrics or health flags or health scores, if it's not constantly being visited and validated, it's like a data science project almost, right? Because you have to see if what you're it's it's a science project, which you you make a hypothesis, you go test it, you use some data. You go test it, and then you see does does it hold true? And if not, then you then you tweak. And if you're if you're not always tweaking those things or always working on them to to improve them, just like a product, then you're probably falling behind, and that thing's probably becoming less and less relevant. You're either utilizing resources that are not being put to good use for you, or you're meaning you're getting bad data, you're getting bad insights, and you're acting on them, or you know, it, it's, it, you're just, you're sort of wasting your time and money otherwise. So that's, that's very cool. Um, so let's, let's turn a little bit more to the scale piece of what you have to do. Um, you, you mentioned, you know, mid-market pooled SMB customers all the way up to strategic accounts. So what are some of the programs that you've had to put in place to, go do these value programs and these outcomes programs with large numbers, maybe thousands of customers. Yeah. I am so lucky in HubSpot. And I, like, I want to preface with this because <clears throat> I know there are so many companies out there that don't have the resources that we have. So everything I'm going to say here, it's maybe going to sound privileged to so many people. And trust me, I know how privileged we are. <laughs> I've worked in companies that had none of this. I, I advise startups that have zero tech stack. So everything I say, trust me, I know how privileged we are. HubSpot is known for having a world-class marketing team. Like literally we build our entire business uh, by, by, by doing excellent marketing and, and kind of eating our own dog food or drinking our own champagne. And so our marketing team is fantastic. We have an unbelievable community that's managed centrally, right? So when I think about customer success and the programs that I run on my team, it's built on the bedrock on the fact that we have that community that it's so strong and vibrant. We also have a great academy team. So we have an entire team that's dedicated to putting together customer certification, training resources that can be used at scale. So for example, if we have a customer and they're hiring 10 new people into their team, we don't have to go and do training for their team. We have all of these unbelievable resources, certifications that actually their manager can go and put in their own boarding team and say, you need that certification if, you, if you're going to be in our marketing team. So we just have like, like unbelievable resources when it comes to that scale part, but also on the marketing automation piece. And in, in the small business segments and the mid-market segments, we, we are working with um, uh, over 100 customers per CSM. So, you know, it's not like a, a super, super high-touch model. Yeah. And when it comes to helping customers get enabled, one of the things that we were doing really well in HubSpot was actually identifying risk. So we're very good at saying, here's the signs, the flags that a customer isn't healthy. Like I said, we had a health score, you know, that's being invented, but it was, you know, good, good at, at predicting that. Um, we also had a lot of, of interesting KPIs we could look at in order to identify risk. What we didn't have, especially when we introduced net revenue retention, was 
a good way of identifying growth opportunities. What does a customer that is ready to be nurtured for growth looks like? And what should we do with them? What does a customer that's ready for a growth conversation look like? So we didn't have any of this. And about two years ago, I started a program with my team, within our own team, like with our own resources. We were not, we weren't super uh, well resourced when it came to operations or marketing. With that, it was an experiment. And we got very close with product and we started looking at what are the, the, the key differences between the jobs that somebody does with our starter program, with our pro licenses and our enterprise licenses? Like what are those jobs that customers do in those different tiers? And then we started mapping those to what do customers like that do those jobs? What do they look like? Do we have thermographic data around this? What, are, what is their usage? Is there is there a point that can tell us like if they're hitting those limits, if they're running X many workflows that they are creating enough volume of work that uh, is worth exploring and nurturing that growth conversation. So we went and we mapped that together with our product team. We got input from our sales team who's obviously having those growth conversations all the time. And we built a, in our um, business intelligence tool, we use Looker. We literally started building lists of customers that looked like those growth profiles. And then we started targeting them with very specific content that our CSMs were building. So our CSMs were obviously having those conversations, those nurturing discussions with customers. So we took all of that brain power and put it into scale campaigns. And we ran marketing scale campaigns, webinars to actually help customers get there faster without us having to have one-on-one conversations. And the results were fantastic to the point that now this is a global program that we run together with our marketing automation team. But we were the people as a customer success team to go to them and say, hey, look at what we've done. It looks like it's working. We don't have all the bells and whistles. We haven't done like the the deep statistical analysis to see if like this work is really truly correlated. But we think there's enough here for us to invest more. And then we got resources from our marketing team and now we're running this in a much bigger, much more rigorous way. So that's like one example of things that we're doing to scale that are starting from very few resources. And I think the other the other scale play, and I cannot take credit for this, this is our amazing CS ops team. Um, they've created um, an, a, new, a new alert for us that's starting to take macro environmental cues and feed it into our system to tell CSMs things that are happening within those, those, those customers that they have that might be risks or might be opportunities. So again, that is, that's coming before that customer conversation even happens. It's feeding into our CSMs. So again, you, you, if you have 10 accounts, you can keep tabs with the news for mergers and acquisitions for, you know, for those accounts. But if you have 150 accounts, how are you gonna do this? How do you sort through the prioritization? So our CS ops team has built incredible alerts to help us with that. That is awesome. That is a really cool and that that's what and and those are often sources of of churn just when you have a, a new stakeholder, new executive come into the business or when the business gets bought by another company that already has a different platform that you sell. So that that is uh that's very cool that they've been able to do that. So um I imagine that the CSMs at HubSpot do get some training on how to think about content because you all are a, like your whole spiel has been 
marketing or content driven marketing since since early days and now you're well well beyond and well more way more broad than that but when you said your CSMs help create that content how did you organize that because i think that's one of the hurdles that a lot of teams have that are smaller than yours or maybe even as big as yours it's like where do i start because CSMs are sort of built oftentimes to have one on one relationships with customers that's i think what the industry has defined as a CSM over the years but how do you get CSMs thinking about the content, the the broader messages that need to go to their entire book of 100 customers and not just one at a time? And then how do you operationalize building those webinars, building that content out so that you can you can scale it? Yeah. You know, in a company like HubSpot, where we do have incredible marketing, we have great salespeople, I think we run the risk of the customer actually hearing so much from us that it feels like spam. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think what one of the things that we say to to CSMs is really to think about is this communication piece needed and is it adding value to this persona that you're sending it to? Um, but beyond that, one of the things like we have hundreds of CSMs globally. We take our CSMs who are passionate about content creation, who have the experience with it, maybe have done a little bit within their own books of business. And we put them together in those in those rooms and we say, here's a problem we're trying to solve. Like in my case, when I gave you the example of the growth campaigns, uh, I had this, um, I wrote this memo basically, which was like, okay, net revenue retention is a new metric for us. We have really strong muscles when it comes to retention. We've been working retention for years. Now we need to develop this new muscle and this new muscle is upsell and cross-sell here's how I'm thinking about it. This is how I'd love to to approach it. Here's a framework. Who's interested? And I just recruited people who are interested in that problem. And they had the bandwidth, right? Not everybody is at a place that they can say, I can take a few hours out of my out of my week. I'm comfortable with my numbers. You know, my hat, my life at home is all sorted. And you know, I'm not, <laughs> um, I, you know, I can I can afford I can afford to take that time to do that extra project, and I'm hungry to grow and I'm hungry to pro- progress in my career. So it's the right time for me. So allowing people to voluntarily join those projects, and then it, it's a process of trial and error. We create the first version. We talk about it. Is it a, is it good? Is it not? Um, we have a localization team who helps us translate resources into multiple languages. Like when I first started this project, we were just running this in the UKI. So it was just English. Then over time, when it started working and people get wind of that, people are like, can my team be part of this? Can you know? Can you get this in my region? We start translating and localizing those resources into multiple languages. Now we run them in over six languages. And we know like translations are not like a simple, you know, here's how, what we say in English, let's just put yeah. it in another language. Right. Like it's, it takes other CSMs to then review and say, actually, that sounds weird when you say that yeah. in Spanish, you know, or you, you made this joke and this is just not translate well, you know, so it takes time to create copy that's relevant for other regions. So again, we employ CSMs in those regions and we're like, are you interested? Do you want to be part of this? So this group starts growing. And now that we're working with marketing, the CSMs are still involved and one of the things that our marketing team loves about working with our CSMs is their deep knowledge. They they can write content that's relevant and that is educational and that people want to read. Actually, our open rates are through the roof with that content. Like we have open rates over 44% for that content. 
which is like like world class, especially to the volume of customers that we're talking about. And that happens because the content is relevant. People want to read it because it's educational. We refrain from hard selling that content. Like that's not a place to try and get customers to click through that button and purchase that in the uh, in the app. For us, that's an opportunity to nurture that customer. And if that customer is interested, for them to book a call with a CSM, for them to come into a, one of our webinars, and then we start seeing whether they are they are truly ready for that like more um, sales-led type of conversation. So I do think that CSMs have this unique um, set of skills, that unique knowledge of actually knowing the use cases, knowing it intimately, that you can write great content that doesn't feel generic. It's not like chat GPT wrote it. It's like somebody that knows your use case has written this. Yeah. I mean, chat GPT can give you a good starting point, but it's not going to be any better than anything that somebody's already written, right? Any idea that somebody's already had and documented somewhere that it has picked up that information and processed it. So um, do you think that we should be hiring for this skill set that you just described when we hire CSMs in most companies? Yes, I think that the hiring profile, when you think about scale, right? The usual structure of a CS team, like that you have CSMs and you have CS managers, and then maybe you have an operations person, like you have to further develop and specialize. For example, like even within your customer success team, like I was saying, you know, it gets to a point that you have to ask yourself, how much is too much for somebody to know? Like, how do we specialize in outcomes or in, 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 in a way, in a product specific way or in an industry or verticalized, like what makes sense for your business will be different, but like you have to start specializing to grow. And then like when you think about the creation of enablement for the CS org, right? If you're hiring loads, so you need to train people on how to do this job. So you're going to need enablement resources. Your product continues to grow. So you will need people in enablement to continue to develop that knowledge. Then you're going to need people that are going to build great content to nurture customers you're going to need people who are great at operations and know how to understand the data and build models that will give intelligence and insights to the cs organization so over time as you scale the makeup of your cs organization changes and evolves so i think that one that i think that's really exciting for csms right traditionally you thought about the cs career path and it was like CSM, senior CSM, principal CSM, manager. And then that was the career ladder, right? Now there's so many options. Like you can be in in marketing content, you can be in in learning and development, you can be in communities, you can be in operations. The possibilities are endless. And I think it's a really exciting time to be a customer success manager. I agree with that. And I would take it even a step further and say that if you're in a smaller company where you can't have all those specialties within your team, they probably exist somewhere in your organization already. So don't go reinvent the wheel. Go try to leverage someone with that skill set in marketing and see if they'll help you out, right? I mean, help you create a campaign instead of calling every customer one by one when you need to tell them something. Um, so I, I think that's a, another way that you know smaller companies can can get started on these scalable strategies there, there's nothing exists in a silo in a software company it just cannot and so uh the more we work cross-functionally the better off we'll be i like what you said there um 
you know, about the the specialization, we actually think of scale in in three, maybe four pillars. One is the engagement model itself. You have to rethink that. Not everything can be done one-to-one, right? And then once you've done that, you've thought about, okay, where can I use webinars? Where can I use one-to-many? Where can I use many-to-many to your community point earlier? Then you say, okay, well, how do I specialize my team? Pillar number two is how do I specialize my teams to go do that work? And then the third thing is operationalization, which is, okay, we decided how we wanted to do the work, what work we wanted to do, who was going to do it now, how do we do it consistently over and over at scale and measure it? And that's where your CSOps types of roles come in to uh, to help drive that. So what other types of roles do you have in your team since you have this luxury of, of a little bit more scale, you've been able to create some specialization. Do you have specific uh, specialist roles in your teams or is it just part of the career path as you go further up in your in your career as a CSM, you are required to have these different types of skill sets. So uh, in HubSpot, we centralize operations and we centralize enablement. Um, in, like they are literally two global teams that we have. We also have a CS planning team. So they are the people that are looking at targets, communicating with executives, um, building headcount, etc. So we have a CS planning team. We have a CS op- strategy and operations team. We then have our execution team. So like uh, people like myself who lead CS organizations. Um, and in our team, we have managers, senior managers. We have uh, CSMs. And within CSM, as I said, there is a career path for every CSM uh, to grow all the way from CS to, to strategic account CSM. We our marketing, customer marketing lives in marketing. It doesn't live in customer success. They are marketing skills and mm-hmm. we partner very, very closely, uh, but they do live in marketing. And our community team is also another team that's separate from CS technically. Our onboarding team is it's still part of the customer success organization, but has their own pillar services. Um, Contract management, like I said, people that are responsible for the renewals, uh, they are like best friends with customer success managers. They work every day together, um, helping customers um, go through that renewal process uh, successfully. So we have loads of specialized teams, but like I said, not all of them live within customer success per se. They all, we're all interlocked. We're all connected. We're all working together. We're all aligned behind the customer journey that we want to drive but they don't all live in customer success and a customer success manager at any point that they just they don't have to go through a career path to end up in operations they can go you know they're csm and they're really interested in operations they go and do a data analytics course and they they can apply for a data analyst role and and you know there's no there's nothing stopping them from doing that and in fact we encourage internal mobility because if you have the know-how of the front line and you have the technical skills or the specific knowledge for that role, you're usually better, right? You're usually, you can make better decisions because you know the customer, you know the job. Um, so yeah, loads of different specialized roles at HubSpot. And as I said, I think this is gonna continue. Right now we have a digital segment that is in marketing um, that's completely nurtured by marketing. But I think more and more we're wanting to invest on a full digital strategy. Uh, so I think even more roles are going to start emerging. HubSpot's super invested in, in, in 
in artificial intelligence, you see that all of our product right now, we're embedding it to, to our product. So it's, I think it's going to continue to evolve and more specialized roles are going to, are going to be created. And, and hopefully it's not the same in 10 years than it is today, because otherwise we'd be stuck in the past. So I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, you just reinforced for me what I think one of the most important skills of a customer success, manager of customer success, director, VP, chief customer officer, doesn't matter. You have to be a cross-functional leader. You have to understand what's going on in other parts of the business, how you fit in with it, and you have to work across boundaries because, again, nothing happens in a silo. So I can only imagine there's a lot of, um, that you spend a lot of your time collaborating with all these different functions, right? But just maybe, I don't know if you have, if you could give us a quick blurb on it, but how do you, where do you think that collaboration comes from? Because a lot of times when you have different departments, they can become like little fiefdoms of their own, doing their own thing, moving against their own strategy. How do you all tie it together culturally so that you are in alignment with all those different teams and functions globally? Yeah, I think, we have a really clear set of strategic goals that our leadership team sets every single year that are going towards our longer term strategy that, again, we also have well mapped out. It gets revisited every year as things change, as it should, but we do get those very uh, specific strategic goals. And when we have those, you know, you have a, a company that has a few, a handful of strategic goals, they're bound to be between departments right it's like we share the same goal with sales when it comes to the growth of our customers so we are continuously motivated to work together because that is this overarching objective that spans across both teams sometimes two or three teams and we have that north star and when you have that north star yes of course like sales has a, a big priority, which is bringing net new revenue. And customer success has a really big priority, which is retaining customers. And of course, they, there are synergies between those two things, but they are still priorities that we own kind of alone in, in that sense. But then when it comes to cross-selling and upselling to our customers, we, we own that together. So we're in projects together. So I think it's all about finding that, like, you know, put that Venn diagram together where your teams intersect, the objectives that intersect and finding the mutual ground to work together. And then there are things that, for example, um, I hear a lot, not in HubSpot, thankfully, but you know, I talk to a lot of other CS leaders about the friction between sales and customer success. And that is that is something that sometimes can feel one-sided. It's like sales is selling, we have to make the dreams come true, we have to work with this customer that isn't the ideal persona and sometimes you can lack partnership when it comes to um, solving those problems because it's like well we sold it that's our job your job is, job is to retain it so off you go and if you can't then that's your problem I mean obviously that's a toxic culture right you want to be in a team where if you raise that as a challenge and it's valid and you have evidence that you're going to work on it together um but I think it's all about finding mutual ground and also like assuming best intent, right? Like I, I have been in companies and in, in meetings and rooms where people are pointing fingers at each other and saying, you know, it's your fault and it's your fault. Well, how about is let's, let's leave whose fault it is out of this conversation and let's think about the future. How do we make sure this no longer happens? How do we make sure that going forward, we're going to 
work with the right customers? How do we manage expectations correctly? How, you know, I think it's easier to align on the future than it is to align on the past because oh. the past has already happened. And a lot of people are going to be protective of, of mistakes that they've made. Not every organization is as embracing of, you know, sharing failures publicly. And, you know, in some cases, people get reprimanded for that. So we have to be very conscious of how do we get the most out of this relationship? How do we get the outcome that we want, which is this problem solved for the future? Because this present problem isn't going to change. How do we change it for the future? So I think finding mutual ground and focusing on what you can do together to make things better in the future is definitely the right way to go with those cross-functional relationships. Yeah. Um, easier to align on future versus the past. I love that quote. I I uh, I don't know where I I picked this up, but at some point uh, over the past years, somebody taught me. So what? Now what? So the past is the past. Here's where we are today. So what? Now what are we going to do about it? And I think that's what you just said much more eloquently. So. Um, that's very, very cool. All right. I know we're running out of time here. So, um, any, maybe the the last thing to hit on here is the tooling that you all use to do this. And I know you have a very unique environment (laughs) relative to, to many smaller software organizations, but how do you think about the tools? Are there some tools or categories of tools that you really focus on internally for your team so that they can do all of this work at scale that you've just described? Yeah, Jay, in preparation for this conversation, we were saying that um, HubSpot does have a very unique way of working, which is we run HubSpot and HubSpot. And it's all about drinking our own champagne, showing to our customers that no matter how big or how small you are, you can run your business at HubSpot. And it is true, we do a lot of our work in the CRM, which is where everybody that touches the customer should be. That is where that information should live. Now, HubSpot has actually custom built a customer success platform where it's completely internal. We don't sell that to customers, but it actually is embedded into our product where customer success managers can manage the workflow of a customer. And we also embed product data into HubSpot. So we bring in um, usage information that's actually processed. We obviously have Snowflake. It brings into Looker. Looker processes in the way that we calculate some of the scores and then it brings into HubSpot. So again, people can have that one view of the customer. Once you get into that account, you click through, you can find everything that you need under one roof. And that is something that's very important for us is being able to centralize all of it. Um, so those are like, you know, having a BI tool, having a CRM and having a CS platform, in our case, a custom build one. It's kind of like the basis of our stack. Now, obviously, HubSpot's a marketing automation platform. A lot of the work that we do at scale will be marketing specific. So we use that. Um, our community is run, I think, in a HubSpot-made system. So we we have that for our community. And... And then our operations team, like we do forecasting. Forecasting is uh, a really big part of what we do. Uh, HubSpot forecasts on a monthly basis. So, you know, we're always forecasting um, and it's, it's a big job. And we do that uh, in a separate system as well that we bought called Smartsheets. So there is like, there, there are multiple tools that CSMs use in order to be able to do their work effectively. But I'd say the core of the stack is HubSpot. It's like really being in the CRM and automating things inside HubSpot. 
Um, we use Workado as well. Uh, we take a lot of product data and push it through Workado to actually get our automated EBRs. Uh, there's so many people that are interested in that at the moment, and I'm, I'm recording a podcast and putting a guide together because every time I say this, I get hundreds of questions from people like, oh, how do you do it? What does it look like? Uh, it's coming, people. Uh, so I don't know if by the time Jay has this episode out, but yeah, we do automated presentations uh, using a combination of Workado and, and uh, Google Sheets so that you can get uh, stuff in, in in a few clicks. We use a Slack bot to actually uh, initiate the process. So there's, there's a few cool things that we're using. We're investing quite heavily in AI. We have ring-fenced um, uh, chat GPT for HubSpot. So we have the Hub spot uh very creative name there and <laughs> got it <laughs> Good. Yeah. uh which is basically a, an instance of chat gpt that doesn't get trained with the data that we put in um so we can use it for summarizing calls we can use it for brainstorming customer scenarios and that has been a really important thing obviously hubspot has huge security uh and ethical requirements when it comes to data and the volume of data that, that we're processing very sensitive stuff so we wanted to make sure that before our team was out there and we believe deeply that teams should be using ai that's why we're embedding into our product but before our team could deep deep dive into it and start using we needed to make sure that we had the right security protocols in place so developing getting that ring fence instance was very important for us so yeah, there's a bunch of different things all anchored in the CRM, and yeah, we, I think I think we're gonna continue to grow that stack. You know, new problems emerge. I don't know if we're gonna continue to always build inside HubSpot or if we're gonna buy different tools, but uh, it's definitely we definitely see something a new problem emerge every other day that we're like, okay, how we're we gonna solve this and. Um, and initially we do it like with duct tape, it's in Google yeah. sheets and stuff. And when it becomes big enough, then we invest in something. That's right. That's a great way to do it. And, you know, I like everything you said there because yes, you build everything and you have it in your own product. It's probably the best of breed or the be best case scenario to do what you all, you all have done, but community marketing automation, analytics, just a way to look and analyze your, your data, feed that back into your CRM, whatever your CRM is, if it's HubSpot or something else, these are the same tools, right? So what you're talking about is not necessarily unique. It's it's just done on a much different scale and in a much more integrated way with the product itself and what it sounds like. And I would love to to hear more about uh, the, the uh, automation of value documents that would be really cool so i'll be looking forward to that as well I'll be one of the hundreds that want to hear about that daphne awesome conversation so um thank you for taking the time to do this i know it's a big chunk of your day and i, I appreciate you and we, we've rescheduled it a couple of times so thank you for bearing with me um where can people find you if they want to learn more about your work and what you're doing yeah, thank you so much, Jade. This has been fantastic. I mean, talking about scaling CS is literally my favorite thing. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been so good. Uh, people can find me on DaphneLopez.com, my website, where they can sign up for my newsletter. They can hear, listen to the podcast. They can also find me on LinkedIn, uh, Daphne Costa Lopez. I publish every day, Monday to Friday, uh, something different in CS. Uh, sometimes CSM focus, sometimes scaling focus, whatever's on my mind, it gets to LinkedIn. So LinkedIn or the website will be the places to find me. Awesome. 
Well, thank you very much for your time. So, so pleased to have you and uh, looking forward to having more conversations. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jay. Hey everybody, Jay here. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You know, this started as a labor of love for Jeff and I a couple of years ago, and it's really turned into a movement around customer success and community, and we couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of it. Uh, we grow this by word of mouth, so we'd, we'd love it if you're willing and you find value in what you hear on this podcast. Leave us a rating or a review on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It'll help us grow and, and provide value to more customer success professionals. Also, if you haven't yet, please sign up for Gain, Grow, Retain, the online community it's gaingrowretain.com. You can meet other people, make one-on-one -on -one connections, share ideas, get ideas, grow your career ultimately. Um, be on the lookout also for live events, both in-person and virtual this year. We're excited to get back to that. And thanks for being part of the community. We look forward to talking to you soon.